Are you looking for new books to read? Do you like finding a new special author? Are you tired of the same old books from the same old authors? Well then, welcome to Discovered Wordsmiths, a podcast where you can hear from fantastic new authors. Join Steven Schneider as he finds and talks to authors you may not know, but authors that have worked hard to write great new books. Hear about their book and why you should check it out. So sit back and listen to today's Discovered Wordsmith. Hello and welcome to another episode of Discovered Wordsmiths. Uh, sorry for the noise, that is some cats running around and having a blast. Um, so as you can see from my background, it is still Star Wars month for me, and I've been having a great month as far as that is concerned, but I'm very excited about some of the things going on in my work business world, working with kids, uh, working with kids in video games. There's some exciting things I've been hearing and some things I'm working on. So there'll be more of that coming up, uh, but I, I'm just very excited about some of the things going on right now. And today's uh, interview is right in that alley. I talked with Fern Brady. She was a teacher and left teaching, but still works with kids and writes middle grade fiction and young adult fiction. And we have a wonderful talk about different things that uh, authors can do and that teachers can do and that parents can do for their kids and things that kids should get more of. And it's it turned into a quite a lengthy conversation, actually. So that'll be a really fun one. And uh, of course, I've got Roland and Tom coming up again in a couple weeks. I just wanted to let you know that I will be taking a week off coming soon because of some other commitments. So just be aware there won't be an episode in a couple weeks. So um, I, I know that was a whole lot of nothing really uh, about what's going on and what's coming up. But I just wanted to touch base with everybody and say hi and welcome to this this week's episode. All right. Well, Fern, welcome to Discovered Wordsmiths today. How are you doing? I am doing well. Thank you so much for having me here. And I love your background. I assume that's a real background, not a fake background. Yes, this is. these are my real bookcases, which I have not enough, apparently, because you can see that they're starting to stack up on top of each other instead of just in straight they should is that nancy drew up there in the corner the yellow mm. bindings no the, you mean the golden ones the is golden, golden? ones it looks yellow yeah yeah okay so that is a really fascinating series it's a series of the royal princesses okay. and it's it's a historical fiction where people are imagining what like cleopatra for example okay is up there and so what would she have been like as a young girl before she oh, wow. became pharaoh before all of the things that we know historically have happened what are, what would have been like what would what would it have been like and Marie Antoinette is up there and oh. some of the Spanish princesses some Japanese princesses and African princesses I mean it's a really fantastic series to cuz it mixes a lot of historical things of great women who have done been royal women in in royal home across the globe but it's a fiction it's fiction nice well, i love that i didn't even know about those great i'm going to look those up now you just added to my bookshelves <laughs> i'm always <laughs> happy to do that yeah <laughs> oh i don't need any help <laughs> believe me <laughs> so fern tell everybody a little bit about yourself where you live and some things you like to do besides writing i live in houston texas which right now is cold, but by the end of the day, it will be 80. 
So it's one of those places and when you have to dress in multiple ways. Yeah. Cold is like 58. Oh, okay. See, the last couple heck, the last couple weeks, it hasn't gotten above the 40s for us. And Christmas, Ooh. it was in the negatives with a wind chill of negative 30s. Oh, no, that's a tragedy down here. Okay. <laughs> that's the kind of thing. We had that one winter where that February that we had, I don't even remember. It's just like my brain has blocked it out. But it was horrible because for one day, we were super happy because there was like snow. And we were like, oh, look, snow. And then it stayed cold and it froze and the powers were out. Power was out. And it was just. Yes, no negative numbers down in Texas. That's just like a tragedy. It's right. like a tragedy. <laughs> right. Sorry, go on. Keep telling us about yourself. <laughs> oh, okay. So Houston, we're from Houston and started off as a journalist. I was a freelance journalist, a foreign correspondent for a Mexico City Daily Bulletin that published in English. Then I went into full-time teaching. I taught sixth graders, language arts, ELA, and the social studies. Everybody taught social studies. And, and then I decided, okay, teaching was getting a little bit too, too much into the testing mode and having to do a lot of things that really were just time wasters that we made all kinds of binders that made no sense because we weren't going to use any of it. And so I was like, why am I doing this? So I decided to step out and go into full-time writing when I hooked up with the Houston Writers Guild. I met a lady that was part of the guild and she invited me. And I had always continued to write with my kids. I hadn't really pursued it as a potential real career and until I hooked up with the Guild and I started attending conferences and critique groups and things. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go for this. I'm going to go for it. So I did. And that was in 2013. And since then, I had a couple of children's books published. I've had a lot of short stories published. My novel in my crazy Thyrene's Galactic Wall universe has been published. And coming up next month in February, we're going to be having uh, book one of the Dragon and His Kitten series, which will eventually combine with book three of United Vidden. So yeah, that's a little bit about like the crazy world of Fern. Nice. Great. And we are going to talk on the second half for the authors a little bit more about teaching kids and working with kids because that's something both you and I are doing. And I thought it'd be great to talk for the podcast and for my personal reasons also. You told us a little bit about when you switched from teaching, but why did you want to start writing in the first place? I have always been a writer. I, When I was a kiddo, I made up stories. I played with my puppets. I had a set of puppets and I made up little stories and I invited my parents to come watch the puppet show. And I charged them for the popcorn that mom actually made. That was me. And I've always just been a writer. I have like tubs of notebooks where I just pour all these ideas. And I went through a pirate phase where like a, I had a lot of stories where that featured pirates. I think because we watched a lot of Errol Flynn movies during that time at my house. I don't know. You're showing know your age, was. sorry. It's just the, it's what happened. I went through my pirate phase and I still cosplay as a pirate because I love pirates. Nice. But they don't show up too much in the books, although they do actually show up in Gortive Offensive, which is going to be book two. But, um, but yeah, I just, I've always written. I don't remember a time when I have not been a writer. I've always made up stories and 
put them on a, on paper and they just live in these notebooks in my attic. And every summer I bring one down to just look at some of the stuff from way back when and see what I was thinking and what kind of person was I back then and just slip through. Nice. Okay. The book we're going to talk about, and feel free to bring in the other series and other books and series, but we're going to talk about United Vit, which is a unique mm-hmm. title. Tell us a little bit about that book, especially the title. United Vidin is book one of Thyrene's Galactic Wall, and I heard like the mainline series, right? It's, you know how Star Wars has the nine movies, and right. that's the main, the Skywalker, right, mainline, and then you have all these offshoots. So that's how I look at it in my world is like Brennan Amiel, the royal house on planet Jorn is the focal point of what is really going to happen with the intergalactic alliance. And so that's kind of what this book is. And it's called United Vidin because on planet Jorn, you have two continents. You have the continent of Vidin and you have the continent of Parthia. Now, originally, the humans who live on planet Jorn, they came from planet Drulin and planet Fraturn, okay? And they were colonists. And so there were humanoids, they were lizard-like humanoids living on Jorn, on Vidin, and the colonists took over that continent. It's like the best land on the planet. So they moved the lizards to the continent of Parthia, okay? So the four Gortive tribes have been living on Parthia for now centuries. And, and when we open in United Vidin, there's a threat. They're beginning to unite, right? Which has never happened before. The four tribes have never united. They are always fighting between each other, which is why they were so easy to conquer, right? They're starting to unite, and we know that they're going to maybe a, make an attack on Vidin. King Dekhil who is the head of the kingdom of Dravidia, reaches out to the principality of Alden, which is the other kingdom on there, and says, hey, we need to unite to fight together. Prince Samuel's always wanted to marry Brenna, right? She's the heir to the throne. And so he pushes for a marriage betrothal. Her father gives in, which means she doesn't get to rule as queen. And this, unfortunately, her father doesn't bother to actually tell her what's happening. He just tells her she has to marry. And so she feels like, wait a minute, has he always wanted Emil to be king? Has he, she begins to realize she's the only child. Maybe he always had this plan, right? And so she does what young people sometimes do, reacts. She runs away. Throws the kingdoms into a war because Emil is like, oh, you're hiding her from me because you did try to do this Treaty right. without her, the marriage. So they fighting. And then, and so eventually Verena is, wait a minute, I should not have done that. That was dreadful. I threw away my birthright. I should fight for my birthright. I can make this right. So she comes back, but she comes back a little too late. And so United Vidin is all about how Verena reclaims her birthright, how she redeems herself, and how she's able to finally unite the continent of Vidin, right, with Emil to be ready for what is coming because little by little, as we see, the Gortiv are making strides towards being able to attack, right? So that's what the book is about. Kind of. I was going to say, that sounds like a whole lot for one book, but it's the start of a series, correct? Yes. Yes, it is. What's the age range that it's 
targeted towards? This is definitely for adults, like new adults and higher, because it does have very, very deep content. It does have violence. There is a war going on. There, there are some romance scenes because a lot of the book and a lot of the series really is about Verena and her coming of age and her managing her relationships and very specifically with Emil, who she has now slighted because she ran away from a marriage with him. But in the end, she has to forge a marriage with him. And so it's all really about how does she manage that and how do they come to terms with each other and are able to defend their kingdom. And then, of course, beyond just the planet, the alliance itself is in jeopardy, which is what we're going to see in book two, which is going to be out in December of this year. And and then from so we're going to have a much wider scale conflict going on as we move towards them figuring out how do they relate to each other now. Okay. And so what you've got some other books out. What made you want to write this book in this series particularly? Is there something, a reason behind it? Oh, yeah. So okay. the world of planet Jorn and the galactic wall that has 51 planets in it was born in my classroom. Like I said, everybody taught social studies. And in sixth grade, social studies is world cultures. And we started the year always with geographic features. And then we were talking about different cultural elements. And we went, talked about cultures around the world. And so since I was doing language arts and reading, we would read mythology from around the world. And we would read about knights and samurai. And we would read, we would read stories that kind of went with some of the cultural elements we were learning about. And so, of course, we wrote. Right. And so I every year had my students, my sixth graders, create an imaginary planet. They had to decide where the land features were going to be and how do those land features affect the development of different cultures on that planet and we different government styles on that planet. And so we would create throughout the whole year. We would create these stories. We would create mythologies for our planets. We would create what did our warriors look like in our planets. And so basically, United Bidden and all of these stories that happen in Thyrene's Galactic Wall were born in the classroom. I was making planets alongside these kiddos and writing these little stories with them. And so I've got like a ton of all these just short little pieces of stories that I would work with my sixth graders with. And so when I decided to step out and actually begin to write as a full-time writer, I was like, I've got all this beautiful material. Yeah. This is what I'm going to create here. Nice. And I love that as being the answer to the question of where do you get your ideas? So that's <laughs> one of the best ones I've heard. And for me, that, that we're going to talk about this more in the second half, alluding again, but that's one of the things I work with kids that I don't think we encourage them and work with them to use their imagination to come up with stories and the variety of stories that can come up. And that's perfect. I love that. That fits in with my classical Dungeons and Dragons also, where you had to create a whole world, a town, a country and the politics or whatever that was going on in your campaign, which is interactive storytelling. But All right, slight technical was, difficulty. <laughs> I was going to say about the Dungeons and Dragons, I love Dungeons and Dragons. I play D&D. I have a D&D group. We meet every week. We try to meet every week, but sometimes that doesn't happen. But right. mostly we do. And I just love that. And for me, 
with the kids, it just made sense as a teacher. And I know we're going to talk about teaching later, right. but it just made so much sense to make everything connected thematically. So we're looking at this element of what cultures in our world look like. What does cultural development in books that we have, right? The books that we, that we are reading, the book club novels that we're looking at, and then writing and extending it into the writing piece. And it just, I think that for the children, it creates a really good way to hold information because it's not just, I'm not just talking about geographic features now. We're talking about your planet and what the geographic features do for your characters on your world. And you mentioned Star Wars earlier, and it's a great example what they're doing now. Because when I was growing up, we had three movies, and this is always my, we had three movies, and in one little sentence, Obi-Wan mentioned the Clone Wars. And that's all we had for 20 some years. We knew nothing about, but as a kid with my friends, we got to talk endlessly. What are the Clone Wars? What did, what happened? Who was, and the stories that could come out of that. So what you're doing is very similar that it's not one story and that's everything. There's so much more to the world. And I, I love that. And I hope it inspired and sparked some imagination of the kids. Each person in their world has a story to tell. And I love that you used that for your series. Oh yeah. And the, and book one is dedicated to them. It's dedicated to my sixth graders and because that was where everything was born. And I think that I like to think that there may be some kiddos out there that went through my classroom that may still have all of these stories. I hope. You know, like I have all my attic full of the stories when I was a kid and who knows someday they might take them out, look at them again and go, Hey, I think I want to pursue this. And they might, because there was some really good stuff. We had a lot of fun and there were some really goofy ones. We had kiddos who made worlds out of candy, right? The whole world was made out of chocolate or something. And we had some really fun ones. And then we had some that were, that really took it to like whole serious level, you know? Oh, um, I love that. Even with the candy one, because, okay, you can do that, but now you got to stop and think. How does everything grow? What? How do they manufacture things? How do the people, what do they eat? So you can, if you're creative, that's wonderful. That's really pushing the limits and your imagination and thinking. I know there's probably some kids that did it just because they thought they'd be funny. And then they probably didn't work as hard as I might have trying to figure all that stuff out. Because to me, that's all fun. It was entertaining because then they had to figure out, okay, so the mythology, right? Mythology is all about the early people how did they make sense of their world, right? They had, they created Parthenons of gods that, that guided their world and they created stories about how, how come there's an earthquake? How come the sun goes across the sky? <laughs> and so now you've got this chocolate world. Okay, what are going to be the myths about the chocolate world? And what are going to be the gods of the chocolate world? And so we had, it was entertaining as we went along. And I did occasionally have one or two that decided to, can we just start over? Can I just do a different planet? I'm like, yes, you can do a different planet. Go for That's it. That's great. So United, we're getting, we could probably sit here and talk forever, <laughs> but is it already out or is it about to be out? United Bidden is out. Okay. It's yeah, it's on Amazon and anywhere where ebooks are sold. So you can order it on Barnes and Noble, et cetera. All the places okay. that you can buy books, basically. And what's the feedback you're getting from people who have already read it? I have gotten some really great feedback. I, I think it's really 
cool when you have a totally random person that you don't know reach out to you and go, I loved your book. And when's the next one coming? I really love that really adds to the pressure of get it done, but it's good pressure. But I've also had some really amazing reviews because Doctor Who Online, which is the official like website for the franchise, I followed them because I liked Doctor Who and they followed me back apparently and they saw my cover and I did not know this, but they review books and they give book recommendations on one of their pages. And so it was very interesting. They reached out. They're like, I think our, I think your book would be something that we would be interested in reviewing. They explained to me if the if they didn't like it, they would just leave let me know privately what they why they why it wasn't gonna work, blah, blah. So I was like, okay, let's do it. So I sent them a copy and they loved it. Wow. They loved it. They gave me a beautiful review, which I promptly put on Amazon, of course. Of course. And <laughs> and they love they compared it to Dune. It was and I think my world is Musk. Wow. Although well, that's impressive uh, feedback and nice accolade there. It was really cool. And I think it you can see a lot of Star Wars and you can see a lot of Lord of the Rings and a lot of other stuff in my books. But I do love the very, they're very social, geopolitical in nature because I love all the intrigue and stuff. So nice. And nice. I do have my power wielders and things. It's like my, my best review. I was like, that's my favorite review of all time. I think I'd be putting that review on everything I put out. <laughs> Definitely. Because if people like Doctor Who and they hear Doctor Who says your book's good. That's your, there's your niche. There's your target. So who's your, who's your doctor? My doctor? Okay. I, okay. I really love Matt Smith. I'm sorry. I just adore Thank him. Thank you. That's my doctor him. also. That's my favorite. <laughs> my kids are David Tennant, but I also grew up with some of the past ones. So Brady, what, number four is like one of my best friends. That's his doctor. And the only one I don't really care for is number two. I've watched some of the reconstructed stuff. I don't know. I just couldn't get into him, but the rest of them I've liked across the board. Yeah. Yeah. It's there, it, the whole show is awesome. I just love the whole concept and everything. And, but for me, Matt Smith was like the epitome of that's what Dr. Who should be. Matt Smith was the reason I actually got interested after my kids in the revamped stuff. It was thanks to him. I thought he, I, he clicked with me very much. Speaking of, if you were given a choice right now, would you rather see your book as a movie or a TV show? I think that my book would probably be better as a movie just because of the scope of the way that it that it's created. It's it's very much about the relationship aspect and then there's a quest aspect, but it could be a TV show. I think at this point either one is great. Because I feel like there's so much interest in, since Game of Thrones and The Mandalorian and these shows, I feel like there's a huge audience that wants to see it episodically, who can, who might not like necessarily to sit through a really long film, but could just enjoy little short snippets mm -hmm. of it. Me, I prefer to binge watch because I like to see the whole thing. <laughs> I like but to see I, the whole. I think studios, executives, and watchers are discovering that sometimes having eight episodes that are a half hour long and that build the story, build the character, they can put things in it. And it doesn't have to be flashy effects. It doesn't have to be over the budget, over the top budget, but you can get story in there that you just can't get the same in movies. There's yes. a skill to make a movie tell a story correctly 
without making it feel like something's missing. And you get that opportunity with the extended TV shows we're getting now. And I say extended, they're only like eight to 12 episodes usually, which is shorter than a normal season. The normal season is going away anyway. It is. And then you're getting like the next level or the next chapter in it, the next season. But you're right about movies because like I have been reading um, the Dark Tower series and I had not read it. And I watched the movie Gunslinger. And I can see why the people who read the books didn't like the movie. I can totally comprehend because they're trying to literally, they tried to condense all these seven books into one film. That's no. I loved the Gunslinger series. I thought the books got better. My personal comment feeling is a lot of people complained about the ending. So he wrote an epilogue ending. And I feel the ending was perfect. So my personal opinion is just forget about the epilogue ending. Just let it end the way it does. And the movie, the problem was they wanted to do three movies with a TV show tied to it in between the movies. So they had this big Mm. long 10 year plan. And then they're like, oh, we don't think it's going to make enough money. We'll just do this. But it's actually not retelling the story it's supposed to take place after the last book in another world so it's like a retelling from another universe and i'm like yeah that's kind of yeah so yeah (laughs) idris elba was great but yes and you know what was terrible is i i didn't read the books first which is rare usually i read the books first and then i go and critique the movies but i didn't with this one i actually first saw the film, and I saw the film because of Idris Elba and Matthew McCogany. Yeah. And so when I started reading book one, The Gunslinger, that's who was in my head. I know that The Gunslinger is supposed to be white. He's just not white in my head. I'm sorry. He's just Idris Elba from now on. I think that's actually perfect. I know in my books, I don't really talk about skin tone color at all, and I leave that open. Even though the artist drew the pictures on the cover a certain way in the book story itself. I don't actually go into that because it's a fantasy world. And I actually, to make that point, I think in book three, I'm going to have a character that I specifically point out that her skin is greenish. And just to make that point that use your imagination, imagine who you will. And And that's interesting because like I do have skin colors. And, and I have black characters and I have some that are very much Asian characters that, or they have that flavor, but they're in these other planets. So what I've done is take basically our cultures and mesh them together. But I have a lot of indigenous people that are human like in the sense that they're sentient, they have cultures, they have family, they have societies. They're not human DNA. Right. Because my theory in my universe is that human DNA would be everywhere. So we would find humans everywhere, but we would also find that there might be other species that would have developed into more of a evolved into more sentient beings. And so that's the issue that we have in the at the heart of United Vidin is that the Gortiv, who are lizard like beings, humanoids, they have had to deal with the effects of the colonizers, much like the indigenous population got stuck into reservations, right, in America. 
And so now they're wanting to reclaim their home and they're getting help from this the Calvernstein who destroyed their home planet and have become space-based society. And so their their physicality has changed over the years because they've been in space for so long that they started out with human DNA. We know that if you stay in space for a long time, you begin to change. The humans would begin to change. Even if you, like even with the astronauts, right? They try to do all yeah. these things to keep themselves toned. But ultimately, if we left them out there for years, they would come back different. They would come right. back different. Right. And uh, the last couple of years, one of the things that just, I had to shake my head and it got, it irritated me the most was when Kenobi came out and they had the third sister inquisitor and it was a black woman and people like exploded and got upset about it. Are you kidding me? I'm like, first of all, the character was fantastic. And some of the things, the one scene where she's doing parkour and stuff across the city, that was a fantastic scene. Wonderful. But I'm like, really? This is in 2022. This is what we're getting upset about that in a fantasy outer space world of millions of worlds where we've seen Rodians, we've seen huts, we've seen Wookiees that we're going to get upset because the Inquisitor is a black woman. I'm like, come on, people. Seriously. Well, and that's the, that was part of the ridiculousness, even with the other films, in that they were like, oh, there's not enough women characters. Right. Come on. Star Wars was like Princess Leia. Okay, I think she was one of the very first, I want to say one of the very first iconic, strong female character leads we ever saw. And it came in a fantasy, science fantasy world because we can. And that's the beauty of the science fiction fantasy world yeah. is that we can actually explore gender issues and racial issues and socioeconomic and geopolitical issues. We can explore these in worlds that are not our own. So there is no confrontationalness to it. It's, here's this, right? Here's some lizard people, okay? There's right. lizard people on this planet. Do they deserve the right to have a space on the, in, and live amongst the human population? And why have they been on these like reservation type situations? And we can, and what are we really exploring? The issues that we had with Native Americans, yeah. the issues we had with as colonizers. So I feel like people who have those reactions are here reacting because something inside's not quite there. I'm that's, sorry. You, that's a whole long discussion you, on you, that. <laughs> you got some issues you need to work through. And you got to also remember that the empire is very much afraid of the other cultures. They were enslaving all the alien stuff. So yes, it made sense that everybody there was a white guy. The empire is to point out the fact that's a man. I could talk star Wars and the good, bad and ugly for days. Let's not get away from your book too far because we could probably go on. We, maybe we will sometime. That's an idea. I'm so, happy to do that. Cause I love me some star Wars. Oh, yeah. All right. So, Fern, do you have a website? I do. My website is fernbrady.author. No. Okay. Fern Brady. It's literally just fernbrady.com. Okay. Yeah. Because I beat the other Fern Brady at it. So, here's the funny thing. Every so often, someone will message me about, oh, I love the show you did in wherever. And I'm like, what show are you talking about? And they're talking about the other Fern Brady, the Fern Brady that's a Canadian comedian. Oh. Of Scottish descent. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. 
Yes. And it's hilarious because she has some books out and, and she and I don't look that different. We have very similar looks. And so it's kind of funny, but I actually beat her to the website. So www.fernbrady.com. That's my author site. Nice. Okay. All right. So we've talked about a bunch of things that we enjoy. What are some of your favorite all-time books and authors? Oh, how much time do we really have? <laughs> right. Do you remember the YouTube Rattle and Hum live video thing they did back in the late 80s? They were all sitting there with the camera on them and they're like not saying anything. And the one guy goes, so how much is the film cost? He goes, oh, film's cheap. It's okay. Keep going. <laughs> so, this is digital. It's cheap. <laughs> it's cheap. Oh my gosh. Okay. So for me, the books that I love the best, C.S. Lewis, um, the Chronicles of Narnia. I remember multiple times reading through all the series, Me too. Um, the Lord of the Rings. That's a hard book to get through, but I loved it. I loved every, I loved all the di- digressions of the world building that okay. he just, you know, because that's Tolkien, right? He was really more concerned about building these cultures and these backstories and all this than I don't know that it would be published that way today. <laughs> Probably not. The, Ho- the Hobbit and Fellowship, I, I like a lot. But The Two Towers and The Return of the King, maybe not so much. Honestly, I've read The Return of the King three times, and I still can't tell you what happened because my brain just kind of shut down. It just didn't click with me. But Hobbit and Fellowship, I like. Yeah. And it's and you know what I think about those two books? I really love the changes that were made for the film. The books are masterpieces in of in and of themselves, but the films are masterpieces in a different way. What they left out, the way they tweaked it made sense. I could understand why. And from a perspective of creating a film, and I think they're just masterpieces. I agree. And you just have to enjoy them separately. And the argument I give to people is that it's completely two different mediums. Even a book, if you do it with a full cast as a radio play, there are changes you need to make for it to come across well from the printed page to what the cast does. And sometimes things can be cut out for time. If you really took every scene and made it into a movie scene, it would have been even longer than the extended editions. And it probably would not be as interesting. So people got to realize that they really loved the books and they put everything they had into it, love into it to get it. So the feel of the world that what Tolkien was saying is what Uh came out the most. And they got the important stuff for the most part. There's a few silly things, but (laughs) whatever. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think so. And talking about the books, even thinking about my own book is I don't think you could just directly go chapter by chapter, putting it onto a film. I think there would be tweaks that would be necessary because you're talking about a completely different medium of for the story to to be told like speaking of other authors that i love agatha christie oh really Agatha Christie. So, i love Agatha. she's one that i have a hard time getting into just oh like, interesting yeah do you like conan doyle do you like sherlock holmes yes sherlock holmes i do love so it's interesting because i find that people who love sherlock holmes tend to not necessarily like Agatha Christie and people like myself who love Agatha don't really like Sherlock Holmes that much. What, what, there's and, a point right there for authors, write your story because there's somebody out there that'll like it and somebody that won't. Oh yes. Oh yes. And I think what made Agatha Christie for me more 
more interesting than, than Sherlock was that I could go back and I could see all of the clues were right there. If I had paid a little more attention here and there, I could have solved it. And towards the end of my yes. reading her book, yes. I started picking up on what she would do. And that made it super exciting. And for me, Sherlock Holmes was difficult because Sherlock sees things that only Sherlock sees. Right. You, the reader, don't get to see that. And so he tells you what he saw later. But I, the way that Agatha would weave in the clues in there that you could actually pick up on. Yes. And, and so I, think, I think that's what draws me. I did get that from the books of hers I did read. I saw that totally. And I see where like Orient Express, I'm like, oh, every story that's used that type of thing, this is where it came from. I totally get that. And I think my, part of it might be is you could say Agatha Christie is a little bit more literary mystery where it's more realistic. Whereas Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes was almost a little closer to fantasy mystery with Sherlock Holmes. And that's probably why I like it better. But also the way his mind thinks reminds me a lot of MacGyver. And MacGyver was like one of my favorite shows of the 80s. So oh, that's yeah. probably I love why MacGyver. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting that the dynamics of how her characters versus Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson's characters, I think they're really cool to see how you can do really great detectives and they can be totally different and they're still really effective characters. And she wrote more than one type of detective. So oh, yeah. know, stick with just Hercule Poirot. She did Miss Marple too. So you got a bunch. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And so I've got her, of course, Dean Coons. Oh, I yeah. love Dean Coons. And, and I've only recently really connected to Stephen King because I'm not a humongous horror author. I don't like to read a lot of horror stories. And I always had the feel that Stephen King was much more gruesome. And, and so what I liked about Dean Koontz is he's horror, but he's really more suspense and sometimes just weird. And I like that. But, but when I saw the Dark Tower movies and I was like, oh my gosh, this is King. How interesting he has this. And even in the prologue, in the introduction of it, he talks about how it's very different from some of the other stuff that he writes. And yeah. so I think it's, I could definitely follow him in this line of his, of his writing. Kuntz never wanted to be a horror writer. He always fought to be a thriller suspense writer. But at the time, because King was big, they pushed him into that horror arena, which he never really liked. And he's definitely gotten out of it and pushed to be thriller suspense. And the, Stephen King is pretty much the exact same way. It's only like the first eight books that are real horror based. Everything since then is pretty much a thriller. Maybe some supernatural elements thrown in here and there. But they're really not the horror, The Shining or Salem's Lot and those types of things. They're way different. Cujo. It was a rounded oh, yeah. dog. Oh, yeah. It's not horror anywhere. <laughs> that was such a traumatizing movie. <laughs> yeah, the movie was. There's an example of a movie that does not play every scene, does not take everything out, but captures the essence of the book and portrays mm -hmm. it on the big screen without having to be five hours long. So that's a good example of, I think, a King movie done well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so those are some of the books that I love. And more recently, I've gotten into Rick Riordan. His series is very fascinating to me, the Percy Jackson, which yeah. they did a horrible job as in the movies. There's, There's a series a coming out. Yes, so. I hope they do a much better job. Yes. 
because the books are fantastic. What a one, what a captivating idea of what if the gods of Olympus were alive and were real? And what if they're still around? And what if they're still doing the same things they were doing and having half kids with humans right. and stuff? And it's fascinating and it's so much fun to read. I just love them. I honestly like the Rorden books more than I like the Harry Potter stuff. So I got into it more. Yeah, me too. I, it was hard for me to get into the Harry Potter. I liked the movies. The movies I could really enjoy, but the books were hard for me to read. I don't know why. Ha I was reading the books to my kids and halfway through book four, reading it to them one night, they stopped me and said, Daddy, we've both already read this and finished it. We're on book five. So I'm like, oh man, now I got to go read all these myself and finish them up. <laughs> so. That is awesome. Yeah. All right. So Fern, do you have a local bookstore that you like to go to? I really like Brazos Bookstore okay. here in Houston. We do a lot of events with them, with women in the visual and literary arts and the Houston Writers Guild. We, we have an annual Haunted Holidays event where our members can come up with short stories that revolve around the holidays that have some kind of element of hauntingness to it, poetry, short stories. And so we'll gather together and dress up and we'll, they'll let us decorate the whole store and, and we read and we have, we've had the, during the pandemic, of course, we had to go digital to Zoom, but this past year we actually were live again and in person. So it was really nice. And so I like Brazos and I like Blue Willow. My, the favorite, my favorite one was River Oaks bookstore, but they closed during the pandemic. And uh, so it was really heartbreaking to see that happen because yeah. they had been in part of Houston for such a long time. All right. So let's finally close up talking about your book and a myriad of other topics that we seem to have branched out onto. So anybody that likes what we were talking about, pick up Fern's book because you're going to like the book. But let's, if somebody came up to you there in Houston and said, Fern, I heard you wrote a book why should I get your book and read it? What would you tell them? I would tell them because it's fun, entertaining, but also it encourages you because the real theme of book one is that no matter how badly you fail, no matter what a horrible mistake you make, even if you make the most terrible mistake that you could ever possibly make as a human being, you can come back from it. It won't be easy, but you there's always a road back if you really choose to change to try to atone. And that's really what she does, right? She threw away her birthright. She threw away her position, her authority. She abdicated. And when she comes back, she has to prove. They had believed in her because of her birth, but now they have to believe in her because she has to show that she's worthy. And so I think that's a really great read and encouraging for us because I don't know about you, but I've had my share of failures that I've no, had to come back. I've never had any of that. <laughs> great. I appreciate that. Thank you much for sharing all of that. Hi, if you enjoyed this episode of Discovered Wordsmiths, please support the author. Go to their website, go to Amazon, look them up, get the book. And if you click on the link that I have in the show notes, you'll also help support the podcast so I can keep the hosting and all the software I use and uh, keep it running for, to help more authors. When I am recording this, we've got over 100 episodes, lots of authors. Go to the website, discoveredwordsmiths.com. 
check it out. There's a lot of great authors, probably in some genre that you love. See what they have. Check out their books. That's what the point of the podcast is for. So people can discover new authors, find some new books they love, support the authors so they can continue writing. So please support them. And if you do like the podcast, if you've been thinking of podcasting or you're a writer, I've got some links also at the website. Click on those if you're interested in any of the software or services that I talk about. Everything that I have there is something I use. So I've got an affiliate link. Again, it's a little bit, if everyone clicked on those, if they were going to get it anyway, it helps keep the podcast going. So let's all help each other out, discover more authors to read. Thank you for listening to Discovered Wordsmiths. Come back next week and listen to another author discuss the road they've traveled and maybe sometime in the near future, it might be you.